And if you would take your Bibles, we're turning to Romans chapter 6 this morning. Romans chapter 6. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 14. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to the sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Let's pray together. Lord, again, we come to you and we thank you for this opportunity to read your word. Lord, to hear your voice in our heads and in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would be with each and every one of us this morning. Help us to focus on you and your message this morning. Lord, please give Pastor Doug strength of voice today. Lord, bless his preparation as he has looked into your word, Lord, to be able to convey to us its truth. Lord, I pray that we would hear that truth today. Lord, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Jeff Wiseman sent me a text yesterday and asked if I would be so kind to express to all of you, his church body, his church family, thanking you for your cards, your prayers, phone calls during very difficult days in the Wiseman family. Friday, they had to say so long to the patriarch of the family as they laid Jeff's dad to rest. And so with that in mind, um, I wish to convey his desire to say thank you. Thank you for a body of Christ that comes alongside. We appreciate that, I know he does too. One other family to continue to remember and pray for is the Harris family. Troy is, um, this morning, there was a, um, as you may know, uh, 
Troy is now on a ventilator. And, but yet this morning, from a text that came from Dawn, that his oxygen level is going up, his pH level in his blood is improving, and as she said in her text, it's one small step to be encouraged. So we need to continue to remember these two families as well as many others that have been through some, some storms. Can we pray again, please? Father, it is through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom is our Savior, that we approach your throne a throne that is described by the writer of Hebrews, a place that we can find mercy and obtain grace in time of need. I thank you that it is available and accessible any time of any day, in any situation. A couple of our families are in storms right now. Storms have an opportunity that sometimes they get our minds sidetracked. We don't be really begin to focus upon who our great Savior is. We are like Peter. We look at the waves instead of the one who calms the waves. And I pray, O oh God, that by your great wisdom, that you would give unto both the Wiseman family and the Harris family. Give them wisdom in order that they may know and do and understand what is your perfect will. Allow them to sense your presence, your touch. Do for them, O oh Lord God, according to your will, do for them which doctors cannot do. Bring about a healing. Bring about strength. Bring about encouragement through your spirits to their hearts and lives. And in these situations, may you receive the honor and the glory because you alone are worthy. We thank you that we've been able to respond to them through cards, through phone calls, through prayers, encouragement. But God, I pray that you would do that which we can't do. Even in all of that, we must still rely upon the greatness of our God. So by your grace, for your will, and may your glory shine, O oh Lord God. I, we lift these two families to you. And may they, O oh Lord, sense your presence. May they be encouraged by you to the power and presence of your Holy Spirit who dwells in them. To you be the honor and the glory. Now this morning in your word, supply that which we lack. 
teach us those things that we do not yet know. Encourage us, O Lord God, for the life that you have given to us. And may we honor you and we'll praise you in your name. Amen. As you're turning back to Romans chapter 6, I was reminded by a young lady just a couple of weeks ago as I was getting a drink of water. She had a great question. Her question was simply, what is that? Seeing I don't know what she was referring to, I began to look around thinking that there might have been a bug or something on the wall. And I said, what is what? She said, that white stuff. What white stuff? That white stuff on your face, how did you get that? (laughs) Out of the mouth of babes. Don't forget those walk through Bethlehem meetings in two weeks on the 14th. They will be very, very important to be a part of. Before we dive into Romans chapter 6, I wonder if you might just turn forward to four chapters to Romans chapter 10. I want to set the situation for us this morning. In Romans chapter 10, I just want to read three verses that I feel will bring a little bit more light to the passage that we are going to deal with this morning. Romans chapter 10, we'll begin at verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made Unto salvation. We find ourselves in a conundrum. Previously, as we have been traveling through the theology of justification, now we come to a verse that does appear at first glance to untie that nice tidy bow. It almost looks like a double talk. Especially when we were engaged in understanding that according to the writings of Paul, specifically in Romans chapter 4, that Abraham believed and was counted unto him as righteousness. Talks about justification which we know is a declaration of God, a one-time statement that we are no longer guilty or no longer will have the wrath of God and condemnation. We've been set free. 
Now we come to Romans chapter 10. And it looks to be convoluted in some ways. But at least let me put you at rest. We have to continually remember in the doctrine of salvation that there are three phases. There's the phase of justification, which is a one-time declaration that we have been set free from the penalty of sin. There is sanctification, which is a continual process whereby we as believer people who have been justified now find ourselves engaged in one of the most difficult parts of life. How do we become more like Jesus Christ? That's sanctification. We are being saved from the power of sin in our lives. Then lastly is glorification. A one act, if you will, a one part of salvation whereby instantly we are changed. Fit for the kingdom of heaven where it says where rust and moth do not corrupt, where blood cannot enter, we are changed, 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We are now separated or set free from the presence of sin. So to understand Romans chapter 10, which is very relative to Romans chapter 6, what is Paul talking about? If thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He's not talking about justification. The Greek term is in the present and future. He's talking about sanctification. How does one become sanctified in the life of Christ. How do we do that? He uses an interesting word as it's introduced here in verse 8, or in verse 9, excuse me, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord there, that word in the Greek is kurios, it is also a word that describes, if you will, in the Old Testament, that's a Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew. It is used there to describe in Genesis, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, where Moses is standing before God, and it says that Moses asks God, whom will I say sends me? Then God says, I am whom I am. Tell them, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, and the God of Isaac has sent you. I am that I am. That particular word is translated in Hebrew as Yahweh. But in the Greek, it's kurios, Lord all capital letters. So in order to 
walk, if you will, in the realm of sanctification, Jesus Christ has got to be the one who's calling the shots. He's Lord. Curios. In reality, he's God. And he owns it all. Now go back to Romans chapter 6. For in order to be in the process of sanctification, our identification in Christ rests on two specific and clear identities. First one is in verses 1 to 14 that Pastor Steve read. Our union with Christ is in the death and resurrection. The second one, verses 15 to 23, our union with Christ is to be viewed as enslavement to righteousness. Those two key issues, our identification in Jesus Christ, is what allows us the privilege of growing more like him. I've given to you notes there. I didn't, don't have any open spaces for you to fill in. But there's three things that you must know. Then there's one thing that you must reckon. Three things that you must know. In verse 3 and verse 6, and in verse 9, it says, no. It's like highlighting a pop quiz. Getting your class ready for a test. You better know this stuff if you wish to be successful. Paul is saying three things that we need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Number one. Know that we were baptized into Christ's death. The word baptized literally means to be submersed in an identification and taking on, if you will, the image of that which you have been placed in. It comes from the Hebrew term that literally means to be put under. It's the idea of taking cloth. And seamstress would want to have a different color than just white. And so they would take it and they would baptize it into a particular color so that when it came out, it took the form of that color. When the Apostle Paul reminds us in verse 3, when he says, Therefore, or do you not know, verse 3, do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? This is not referring to the process by which once in a while we have a baptism service. This literally means that now we 
take on the very form of Christ's death. We're virtually walking, we're walking dead men, dead ladies, dead teenagers, dead children. I've had the privilege in the past of ministering when my, my brother-in-law was the director of a Bible conference. He would allow me to come up and lead the singing and sing once in a while. And I said, well, who's speaking this week? I need to call him. I need, I need to talk to them. What's his theme? And so I spoke with an individual and I was sharing with him, this is my plan. This is some songs. I'm thinking, I, I, I don't want you to be offended by them. And he said, you can't offend a dead man. I'm dead in Christ. I live for Christ. He said, all you need to do, Doug, is make sure that you're singing for Christ and not me. That's what Paul is saying. We need to know that we were baptized into Christ's death. Let me have you just make sure you underline Galatians 2.20. For Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. I'm dead. Yet, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. That's the identification. That the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You want to walk in sanctification? When the forces of darkness are yanking on your chain of life, just tell them, I'm dead in Christ. I am identified with the one who one day is going to tell you, depart from me into the flames. I've been set free. I'm dead. You can't offend a dead man. That's what you must know. That's the first know. You must know that your identity is in the death of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. Number two, in verse six, Knowing this, there's the key, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be losses of sin, slaves. Number two, know that Jesus Christ is the foundation of our freedom from sin. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus Christ has done and accomplished. Freedom there, the word freedom, does not mean doing what you want to do. Oh, the Apostle Paul gets into that later. Freedom literally means being able to do now what Christ wants me to do. Oh, when you get to chapter 7, Lord willing, before the turn of the century, we're going to find out the Apostle Paul had a struggle. 
He says, those things I know that I should do, I find myself not doing. And those things that I find myself that I should not do, I find myself doing. Who will be able to separate me from the wretchedness of sin? In verse 8, therefore there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. People, let me put it to you straight. We're free. We've been set free. And someone ought to say amen. We've been set free. In fact, you ought to turn to someone on your right and left and say, I'm free. Oh, none of you are doing that. Okay. Well, I was getting kind of excited. I, I, I just lost my way there. I'm sorry. But we realize that our old self that had no other choice than to obey sin has been crucified. It's dead. I've been set free. But that doesn't mean old man is willing to leave. Can someone help me with an amen? He likes to hang on. He's hanging on for dear death, not life. He's hanging on for dear death. But the jury has already deliberated. And in Christ, we're free. Free to be whom Christ wants us to be. To serve him, to love him, to worship him, to adore him. That's what we've been set free to do. He is our foundation upon which we no longer need to be slaves of sin. That doesn't mean we are sinless. But I hope and pray you're finding yourself that you sin less. That's the process of sanctification. Number three. You can look up Ephesians 4, 21 and 22. Number three, that Christ, know that Christ has defeated the power of the grave. Look what in verse 9 says. Knowing that, there we are again, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more Death no longer has dominion over him. Let me tell you what death is for a believer person. It's goodbye earth and hello glory. We aren't saved to stay in the dirt. We've been saved to be able to walk on streets of gold. To be able to view the towers of the walls of the new Jerusalem constructed, if you will, foundationally with some of the most precious jewels that are known to mankind. And God thinks that they're just good for foundations. Because the one who's going to be there outshines them all. His name is Jesus. Someone help me. His name is Jesus. We, knowing that Christ has defeated the power of the grave, we literally can stand firm and know that one day the trumpet's going to sound. And those who are dead in Christ are going to be raised. 
And we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet them in the air. And thus we will ever meet the Lord in the air. We'll ever be with him. Death has no more dominion over us. Because our identity is in Jesus Christ. You can go to the tombs of Muhammad, and his bones are there. You can go to the tombs of Confucius, and his bones are there. Go to the tombs, if you will, if you dare, to even go to the tomb of Joseph Smith. And his bones are there. But there's nothing like going to the tomb of Jesus and finding it empty. Oh, Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to fetch her poor dog a bone. But when she got there, the cupboard was bare. The poor dog had none. Oh, believer person. We go to the cupboard of the, of the grave of our Savior, and it's empty. And we say, hallelujah. Death has no more dominion over him. He's been set free. I've been set free. Those are three things that you need to know. That when the forces of darkness begin to yank on your chain, you just remind them. I'm no longer myself. I'm in Christ Jesus. Oh, but there's another thing that you must do. I had Pastor Steve stop at verse 14. But we need to go to verse 22. Verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Reckon yourselves to be a slave of God. Reckon yourself to be a slave of God. Why would we do that? I think the other question's better. Why wouldn't we? For all that Christ has done for us, why wouldn't I want to be a slave for him? That's how the Apostle Paul started this letter off. When he said in chapter 1, verse 1, I am a slave of God. I'm a doulos. A doulos is uh, the Greek word for slave. A slave is an individual who asks no questions Seeks no reward, but just does what the master says in order that the master gets the glory. It's not a slave ship of hardship. For Jesus even said himself in the gospel when he said, take my yoke upon you. 
It's light. It's not burdensome. My yoke isn't heavy. It's not toilsome. It is not something that you will ever regret. Become a slave of God. Well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, you have to know who your master is. Who's your master? From verses 15 down to verse 21, the Apostle Paul says you've got a choice to make. Has nothing to do with justification. We're talking about sanctification. Somebody shake their head up and down. Yes, I understand, Pastor. We're not talking about what it was to be saved. We're talking about now what it is being saved. You've got a choice to make. You can either follow the old nature as your master. You can, and unfortunately we do at times, we do present our members as unrighteousness. We do that. But Paul says what you need to reckon, that word reckon is kind of an interesting word. It literally means come to a full understanding. Get close to Jesus. Reckon yourselves as a slave to God. He's our master. Almost fell over, excuse me. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Christ is our master. He rightfully deserves all that we have because it's his anyway. He made it all. He's given it all that we may use it for his glory. Reckon yourself to be a slave to the master who will wonderfully not have you do anything that he hasn't already prepared you to do. He'll never ask you to go beyond what he's already given you to do. He just wants you to be good at it. Be a slave. If you want to grow in the realm of sanctification, first, you must know that we've been set free. Secondly, we must reckon that freedom and become slaves of the master. Then when we get to Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, 10, all of a sudden, all of that becomes clear because if you will confess with yourself the Lord, he's the master. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now you find yourself in the process of being saved. Wow. And then chapter 10 closes out by saying, who will I send? Who will go before me? I'm a slave, I'll go. 
will go. We're in the process of being saved to his honor and glory. Amen.